0: may be seated. Thank you, worship team. A perfect song that will lead us into the message today, Anchor in Christ. It's a topic I want to share with you this morning, Anchor in Christ. About two weeks ago, the 50 plus ministry, that's those who are older than 50, uh, some are retired, some are semi-retired, some are still working, but we are moving into the second half of our lives. We went on uh, to a retreat on a cruise ship. And that cruise ship leads us to a a small town uh, by the beach called Cabo San Lucas uh, at the southern tip of Baja, California. Some of them might have been there. And when the ship gets there, it drops anchor at the bay to allow passengers to get off the ship to explore that beautiful place. And most of the passengers will hire a boat to visit the famous arch, the arch which is supposed to be the meeting place of the Pacific Ocean and the Sea of Quartets. Okay, so there's something unique there. So many will hire a boat to just tour that place. I remain on the, on the cruise ship, sitting in my room. When I look out the window, I can see the scene changes every few hours. Um, I can see the shorelines in the morning, where we dock with houses, the beach, beautiful place. And in a few hours, I can only see Pacific Ocean because the boat has shifted with the ocean current. That's how powerful the current is, right? It moves, shifted. And when you look out there, it's all ocean. You thought the ship, you know, traveled again? No, 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 it's still in the same place. The ship drifts with the ocean current, but it never drifted away from where it anchors. And when I look at that, it reminds me of how we experience our lives today, even as you are sitting there. And we, we are like that. We wake up every morning to a new scene. One day you wake up to Israel-Hamas conflicts. Another day you wake up to mass shooting in Maine. The next day you wake up, fire breaks out in Temecula. And the next day you wake up to your personal crisis in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace. Another day you wake up to floodings, to earthquakes. You know, almost every day the scene change as you look out of your life, out the window of your life. Another day you wake up to a new legislation that you don't agree with but enacted by the Congress anyway. Now, we feel sometimes uh, difficult to catch up with all the happenings in this world. We don't have all the answers. And you don't like all these things happening around you. We don't have all the right responses. But one thing is important, that I do need to be anchored in Christ. Because as the ship ship shifts by the current of the sea, the scenery will change as I look out there. And every time it's different. But as long as I'm moored, anchored in Christ, I can find my footing. I can see how I can move on with life. And that's what Paul is doing in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. The church faces heresies. In one scene, they talk about how Jesus is not enough. You need to add on laws. You need to add on something else. Uh, and another scene, another one come along and say, Jesus Jesus is too much, too much sin, too much condemnation. Not enough grace. Let's not talk about sin. Let's just talk about grace and love, and that's more attractive to people. And then the scene shifted quickly. While Jesus is wonderful, but he's not the Son of God. He's a wonderful teacher, great teacher. Let's emulate him on how he loved the world. That's wonderful. Another scene changes and say Jesus, while he's the the, 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 the Son of God, but he's not the Son of Man. He cannot be the Son of Man because He can't carry a body. Body is evil. So he he didn't have a body. He's not human. He possessed a human. And then when he died on the cross for us, he left the body and he went back, the spirit went back to the Father to remain to be holy because the body is evil. The heresies keep changing the scenes and causes some of the confusion to the church of Colossae. And Paul says, anchored in Christ. In verses 1 to 7. Let me read to you, Colossians 2, 1 to 7. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen, my fa- who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And verses 6, 7, says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. To help us to anchor in Christ, first of all, he teaches that we must get to know Christ. Verses 105, you need to know Christ. If you look at verse 1, you see how Paul pours his heart into the condition of the church in Colossae and trying to point them to Jesus. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face. Paul was engaging in a great struggle and the word struggle is the English word agony. In Greek it's agon and that's where English derives the word agony, pain. It took me great pain, he says, for me to pray for you, for me to teach you, for me to sway you away, from heresies, and the word "agon" is often used to describe athletic contest, which is very strenuous and demanding. So Paul has a great, intense struggle within himself against the heresies that affect the Christians in the city of Colosse. And in fact, it's more than that, the audience is wider than expected. He says, to, for you, this is for you, struggle is for you, that's Colosse, Christians in Colosse, And for those at Laodicea, which is about 12 miles away, west of Colosse, and for all who have not seen me face to face. You see, Paul did not plant a church in the city of Colosse. It was his co-workers. So he might have met some of the church leaders, but not everybody but his heart is for the church. So this is telling us that a wider audience, more than the city of Colossae, in the whole region, in fact, fact, well, at least within the 12-mile radius somewhere there, they were affected by the false teachings of the heresies. And Paul says, I put great effort to anchor you in Christ so that what? You may reach the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, so that you can know Christ. And that's how he helps the Christians to anchor in him, get to know Christ. But how do you get to know Christ? Under what circumstances that will help you to know Christ? He says, well, their hearts may be encouraged and being needed together in love with the riches of full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. To know Christ helps us to anchor in Christ. And this is a rich, rich wealth that he is sharing with the Colossians. Rich, all the riches... All the riches of full assurance of understanding. You see, the more you understand, the more you are assured. The more you understand, the more you are assured. And you reach all the riches of understanding as you grow deep in Christ. As a commentator says, the better a Christian understands God's truth, God's true revelation concerning the person and work of Christ Jesus, the better he or she will be able to recognize and refute false doctrines. Knowing Christ. Anchoring is Christ, in Christ is what helps us to face the changing scenes out there, either heresies or challenges of life. Anchor in Christ. So as you grow in knowing the teaching of Christ, it gives you confidence to anchor in Christ and your faith will grow. You see, the scenes you wake up to every morning, it's nothing new. The Bible teaches and reminds you of what you live today. Matthew 24, verses 4 to 6. It says, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Heresies. The greatest heresies are people who sort to of relate to Jesus. I'm Jesus' brother, I'm Jesus' sister, so follow me. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. While a warfare is happening, there are more warfares, rumors about warfares happening as well. One after the other, one after the other. Don't be surprised by that. See that you are not alarmed, the Bible says, for this must take place and and the end is not yet. Now, we don't like it. It hurts our hearts. It burdens us. It worries us. But the Bible has told you that it will happen. When you grow in your understanding of Christ, His person and His work, you are more prepared to see the changing scenes around your life. And if you look on verses 10 to 12, Matthew 24, 12 to 13, it says, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, Many Christians will fall away. With all the changing scenes around them, they are confused by the heresies. They become atheists. Well-known Christians become atheists. And many turn to secularism. They are disappointed with churches, with all the scandals that is being publicized in the news. And verse 11 says that many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. While we are confused and defected away from Christianity, but there is a vacuum in our heart that needs to worship and they'll be led astray to fill that vacuum. And verse 12 says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Lukewarmness and superficiality is a sign of our time. But the one endures to the end will be saved. The Bible told us, you anchor in Christ and the teaching of God's word, you know what will happen, and it is not surprising, though unhappy and and not something that you look forward to, yet you know it will be happening. In fact, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5 is even clearer. Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulties For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to the parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, solemn with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. They will be around you. Avoid these people. Even as I read the list there, did you hear atrocities? cancel culture, bullies, militant, polarization, brutality, indulgences, conspiracies, scheming. There's really nothing new under the sun. When you grow deep in Christ, yes, you can be anchoring in Christ and able to know and see what's happening, though unhappy, though hoping that it will not happen, but we know that it is happening and it will happen. But as Paul was writing to the Colossians, reminding them that ultimately we need to understand the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And we've been telling you that the the, the mystery refers to God's will once hidden, but which has now been revealed and understood. And unless God reveals it, no human can understand or discover that mystery. And what is that mystery? Specifically, in the book of Colossae, the mystery is that the riches of God's glory is among the Gentiles. In chapter 1, verse 27, we've expounded on that says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the mystery specifically talked about in the book of Colossae. You see, the Jewish Christians in Colossians were thrown off guard even by that because they remember and they stayed at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, that says the Gentiles who are supposed to be separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And they stay at there. When Ephesians 2 continues to say, but the grace of God has reached out to them. David Garland, the commentator, Summarize it beautifully, the mystery revealed to Paul was that God intended to save the Gentiles from the very beginning. It is not a plan B after the gospel had been rejected by the Jews. Rather, it is God's eternal purpose. You know, even as I talk about Gentiles, many Christians sitting here and say, thank God they need to be saved. No, 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 thank God we are safe because we are Gentiles. Anyone who is non-Jewish are Gentiles. Unless sitting here, you are a, a Jewish heritage, but otherwise we are all Gentiles. And thank God that the salvation of God in His eternal plan, not a plan B, eternal plan, salvation came to us as well. And Christ enlightened our eyes to see the riches of God's glory. Wisdom and grace. Only through Christ we can do that. And because in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God find it contented, fulfilled, satisfied to have all His glory and all His richness to be hidden in Christ. And only Christ can reveal the fullness of our Heavenly Father. Through Christ, we have knowledge and wisdom, knowledge to apprehend truth and the wisdom to apply truth. So no wonder Paul reminds the people, anchor yourself in Christ. Anchor yourself in Christ. Do not add anything or subtract anything. Anchor yourself solely in Christ for us to face all the changing scenes that keep flipping um, through our windows out there or as we look out there. And that leads to verses 4 and 5. When Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, that's a heresies. For though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Though he was concerned, though he fought one of the heresies, but at least at that moment, he was pleased that they were able to stand firm. They were in good order, he says, like soldiers standing in full attention, ready to fight, ready to push back. So they are battle ready. They are strong, at least at that moment, and they are firm in their faith, but he just wants to forewarn them, watch out. When the scenes keep flipping and keep changing, you may be confused, you may be affected. Watch out, anchor in Christ. In many heresies and cults use mystery as a way to draw followers and people. Mystery has been hijacked by the leadership of the cults and heresies to manipulate followers and control their thinking. Mystery is something unknown. So when the false teachers claim that they have the key to unlock the mystery, it empowers them and draws many followers. You see, when we have a specific needs, and, and, and maybe it's medical thing, or, or maybe it's relational thing, or about life, that we can't find any answer, And someone says, you know what, I have the mystery to unlock that, it becomes very attractive. And that's why some of us will be willing to try out this treatment and that treatment and that healing and this healing. It's like, hey, there's no other ways, there's no harm, let me try it. Maybe it will work. Mysteries draws people when you are helpless, when you have no other options. And the cultic leaders use that very powerfully to draw people in heresies. But the scripture reminds us that the knowledge of God's mystery is Christ Jesus, in whom all are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, meaning anything outside of Christ, anything on top of Christ, anything less than Christ is heresy. Christ and Christ alone alone is salvation. Christ and Christ alone is the anchor that we should set our ship and be able to pivot ourselves in our lives. In a chaotic world, when many are confused and fearful, we become victims of deceptions. Anchor yourself in Christ. politicians, use religion to justify their rule or their leadership. They do it all the time. From the days of Jesus and Paul claim to be a special anointed one by God and called by God or chosen by God, they hope to draw people after them and to support them. Jesus reminds us to judge the false prophets by their fruits. In Matthew, Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, he says, So every healthy tree tree, bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So you will recognize them by their fruit, Matthew 7, verse 20. Recognize them by their fruit. Look at their fruit. So that we can anchor well in Christ. To know Christ, brothers and sisters, know Christ. Grow in God's Word. Come together for Bible study. Secondly, to, get, to anchor ourselves in Christ, we need to walk in Christ. Verses 6 to 7. Verses 6 to 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. A specific title for Christ. Christ Jesus the Lord. It's a very unique way of talking about Christ. Okay? We have Christ the Lord. We have Jesus the Lord. We have Jesus Christ. We have Jesus the Lord. But Christ Jesus the Lord is the only occurrence in the New Testament right here. It is used here uniquely to refute three heresies. The name Christ highlights Jesus' deity is God. So it refutes Judaism who denies Jesus' deity. The name Jesus highlights his humanity. And it refutes those sectism, that is the heresies that think body is evil, so Jesus has no body who denies Jesus' humanity because they consider physical body as evil. The name Lord highlights his sovereignty. It refutes all other religions of Paul's time who worship other gods. So Christ Jesus the Lord is a unique way of refuting all the heresies of that time. And he says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, you must be willing to obey Him since He is your Lord. Paul exhorts the Colossians to walk in Him. How do you walk in Him? He gave four characteristics of someone walking in Christ. Rooted in Him, built up in Him, established in the faith, and then abounding in thanksgiving. Four ways to walk in Christ. The first, rooted in Him. It means to grow deep in Christ like a plant, firmly rooted like a tree. Grow deep in Him. To build up in Him, to grow up in Christ, it is using the picture of a building being built up. So our formation is not completed yet, we are still in a process of being built up. Rooted in Him, growing deep in Christ, building up in Him, grow up in Christ. And thirdly, establish in the faith, grow strong in Christ. To grow strong in Christ, we become increasingly stable in our faith as we walk in Him. Rooted in Him, built out in Him, established in the faith, the above three are in passive voice, meaning it is by the work of God that we can, rooted in Him, built out in Him, and established in the faith. But the next one, abounding in thanksgiving, is an active voice. you got to do that. Knowing that Christ has invested in you by rooting you, by establishing you, and by building you up, then the natural thing for us is to grow cheerful in Christ, to grow cheerful in Christ, abounding in thanksgiving for all the works that Christ has invested in us. And it is only natural for us to respond with bountiful thanksgiving. If we look at the tenses, rooted is in perfect tense. It indicates that it is a completed work that Christ has done on the cross for us to have new life in Him. It's done. We are a child of God. Thank God. But building up and establishing in Him and abounding in Him are in present tense, indicating that we should continue to grow in these areas as we walk with Christ. And that's what we are called to do today, brothers and sisters, to be rooted in Him. That is done, thank God, for those who are Christians. But we need to build up in Him, establish in the faith, and continue to give thanks to God as we walk with Him and anchor ourselves in Christ. So to summarize my message for you today, anchoring ourselves in Christ is the best posture in response to the ever-changing world. Anchoring ourselves in Christ, that's the right posture for us to respond to the ever-changing world. The scene keeps changing. Every day is different. Crisis calamities, atrocities, people dying, terrorism. They are happening so many times in so many ways. Anchor yourself in Christ. As Hebrews chapter 6 verses 19 to 20 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus was Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is a pioneer. This is a picture of the temple where there's a veil separating the Holy of Holies and outside. And only the high priest, once a year, he can enter that on a day of atonement to atone for the sins of the whole nation. Every year, every year, he has to go in. That is the order of Aaron. Aaron is the high priest and all the descendants will have to do the same thing. Every year, atoning for the sins that they forgot, they don't remember and he will make sure the whole nation is covered by the high priest, day of atonement, entry into the Holy of Holies. But Jesus is different. Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, not after Aaron. He just went in once. He died for our sins once for all, and salvation is secure. He, de- he doesn't need to go in every year, not like Aaron, but Jesus has done that. He's a better priest for us, insecure of the salvation, and He is the anchor of our soul. It will not shift, it will not change, and we have our security in Christ. You know, I was reading Eugene Peterson. I have to admit that uh, Eugene Peterson has really ministered to me and uh, uh, really helped me to grow in, in so many ways. I really like, love his book, a great scholar, a great pastor. Eugene Peterson warns us of the threats of Gnosticism in churches today. Gnosticism is probably the most prominent heresies during Paul's time. At least in an early form, and in the second century, um, it, it was growing in its impact. Basically, a syncretism. That means everybody just mixed them all together. That's why you have Jesus plus, Jesus minus. Their beliefs are anchored in two basic thinking. First of all, material things matter is inherently evil, and spirit is good. But they believe in dualism, meaning anything done in the body, even the grossest sin has no meaning because real life exists in the spirit realm only. So you can do whatever you want, it doesn't affect your soul. So is good. And you can see the implications of that kind of a philosophy and thinking. Even in our lives today, it's, it's DNA. It's your leaning. It's a disease. You can't help it. It's your family of origin. It's unkind people around you. It's the environment. Because you grew up in that environment, you can't help it. That's the modern expression of narcissism that matter. Is inherently evil, but it doesn't affect the soul. The soul is always good, and they are separated. Secondly, narcissism claims to possess an elevated knowledge. They have a higher truth, not, not, not from a Bible, but acquired on some mystical higher power. So we are the privileged ones. We are the enlightened ones. If you want to know more, you get to go through us. We are the privileged class. And with these two basic teachings that anchors this heresies, Gnosticism, Eugene Peterson reflected on, on that and said, you know what, we see the modern expression in even evangelical churches. He says the Gnosticism today offers us spirituality. We need God, we want God. There's a vacuum in us that cries out for God But we want spirituality without the inconvenience of creation. Creation can happen only when God intervenes. Because only God can create. But we don't want God to touch our lives. We want spirituality without the inconvenience of creation. To be transformed, to go through growth and life, to be more and more like Christ is very inconvenient. You have to change your lifestyle. You have to be aligned with Christ. You have to give up something that you you always crave for and like, but now because of Christ, you say no to that. Inconvenience of creation. So Christians live in a parallelism. Christ and me, we never cross. Perfect parallel forever. You do your thing, I do my thing. If I need you, I'll call you up. But otherwise, leave me alone. Modern expression of Gnosticism. You are in charge of your own life. No one should interfere with your destiny. That's my rights. And for us who grew up or live in the US, that personal right is heightened in an amazing way. See, picture a group of God-believers who are bored most of the time, feeling out of place in this world, not quite ready to go to the heavenly home, but wander around, doing just enough to be called Christians, but not enough to be his witnesses. How can transformation and creation happen in your life? He says, only when nothing we do makes any difference and we are left standing around empty-handed and clueless, we are ready for God to create, to transform. When the conditions in which we live seems totally alien to life and salvation, we are reduced to waiting for God to do what only God can do to create, to transform, to align us with Him. Spirituality without the inconveniences of creation. Is Eugene Peterson describing some of you? Or this stage of your spiritual life. Gnosticism in modern expression in a church. Secondly, he says, the modern Gnosticism offers us spirituality without the inconvenience of sin or morality. What if the church talks less about sin and sinners? It's too condemning, too unfriendly and in some cultures like the Chinese culture, then the older parents would be more willing to come to church. And to talk to an elderly person in the Chinese culture and say, you are a sinner, that's offensive, man. That's offensive. You don't do that. You have to craft it and, and think of a way to say sin, but in a, in a nicer way, in a more respectful way, then they will say, okay, I'll listen to you. If we do that, then we can attract a lot more seniors with the Chinese heritage and be willing to hear the gospel. Would that be nice? Spirituality without the inconveniences of sin and morality. What if the church would talk about topics that people are more interested in, like retire happily, worry-free living, foul-proof your marriage, raising Ivy League, bounce kids, expand your bucket list, invest wisely. I think we do talk about some of that, but never disconnected with what God expects of His children and never disconnected with discipleship and never disconnected with the teaching of God's Word. Is Eugene Peterson pointing to where you are, some of you who are confused with all the sins and all the rationales of all these new laws and legalization of different things and wonder, am I being too, am I being too harsh on other people? Thirdly, he says, modern Gnosticism offers us spirituality, without the inconvenience of people we don't like or who aren't our kind. You see, what if we change our names uh, from disciple of Jesus Christ to winners for Jesus? You don't need to talk about denying yourselves, take up your cross to follow Jesus, because that's what discipleship is. Just talk about being winners for God. See, everybody wants to be a winner. It is more attractive and more positive. Come on. And we don't need to cancel out each other. We have a lot more common subject to bridge our differences because we are the like-minded people. And unity is easier to achieve when we are of the same kind, wouldn't it? Then the pastors will be easier to lead the church. Because the pastors keep talking, man, unity is something that we keep working on. Unity is something we pray for. When you live with people who are different, you never know when conflicts will flare up. You feel like you are walking on ice every day. Spirituality without the inconveniences of people you don't like or aren't your kind. But is that what Jesus wants for his church? When Eugene Peterson points out the modern Gnosticism expression in the Christian church, is he t- talking about you or me? And number four, he says the, 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 the highest expression, in fact, people... People look for that and, and, and yearn for that. Highest expression is narcissism offers us a spirituality without God. It's called secularism, right? See, if the church replaces the sign of the cross with a dollar sign, would it be more practical? After all, who can live without money? And once you touch the subject of God, you can't avoid talking about holiness and righteousness and judgment and second coming on top of, yes, grace and love and compassion and and faithfulness. Yes, of course, but you need to touch on the full attributes of God. But if you don't talk about God, we make friends so much easier. After all, let's be honest, we don't talk about God after service. We talk about God from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., two services. And after that, we talk about everything else but God. And Monday to Saturday, be honest, we hardly ever talk to God unless you are in a prayer meeting, in a small group. But otherwise, God is pretty much absent from your life, from your campuses from your office, from your family, unless it is just a prayer before meals. So if we don't do so much about God after the service, the the church life goes on and people are quite happy. We have less controversy. If you don't talk about God, it's non-confrontational. It's so much easier to relate to people. It is so much more politically correct. Everybody's more relaxed. Try to bring up a subject of God and see how people tense us out. Try that. So let's give people room. Come on. Find your own way to connect with your God at your convenience. Who am I to probe into your spiritual life? That's your privacy. Spirituality without God is the highest form, he said, of the expression of Gnosticism. Am I describing some of us when Eugene Peterson's really provoked me and, and, and just caused me disequilibrium when I read his books. I was like, oh my goodness. That heresy 2,000 years ago never left us. It comes in different forms. The scene changes every day. Scene changes, not only politically, not only globally, but in church as well. They keep changing. Where am I anchoring myself in? He says, church, anchor yourself in Christ. And Christ only, don't add anything else. Do not subtract anything. Christ and Christ alone is your anchor. And He is supreme. He is salvation. He is sufficient for your salvation and your godly living today. Christ and Christ alone. That's the message for you and me today. Anchor yourself in Christ. The scene will keep changing. Maybe in the afternoon, maybe the next day, when you open your eyes, another scene, another episode, but anchor in Christ. Anchor in Christ. I don't need to tell you how to anchor in Christ. You've been in churches long enough to know you need to read the Bible, you need to pray, you need to walk with God, you need to be connected with the community, you need to worship God, you know that. Sometimes we, we, we <laughs> I, I just feel that sometimes we just complicate Christianity. It's very simple. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus and everything expands from there. Go back to the basics. What else can I tell you, people? What else can I tell you to anchor in Christ? But to find Christ, to come back to Christ. What else can I tell you? You tell me. Every Sunday, we preach God's Word, helping you with different perspectives, trying the new ways and trying to find uh, different ways to, to awaken you, to sensitize you, because many are e- desensitized. We try to sensitize you to the reality of God. But it's the same message, people. It's the same message anchor in Christ. And discipleship begins with denying yourself, take up your cross, and to follow Jesus. Be anchored in Him. Let's pray. Father, we are convicted by what Eugene Peterson reminds us, such a piercing and penetrating thoughts to remind us that Gnosticism, the false kind of spirituality actually never leaves us. Because deep in our hearts, the idol worship yearning is always there try to replace God with ourselves, with something else, with something easier, because we keep subtracting what is required for disciples. And sometimes we add on something else to confuse us. Lord, today, with all the scenes changing around us, we pray that you will help us to anchor in Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.